0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret. And the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I mentioned at the uh, earlier service that uh, at 42 years of age, uh, looking at little uh, words on a paper just doesn't work as well as it used to. And so, um, preaching from a pulpit, but I don't like to preach behind that pulpit because I feel like a caged lion. And so, um, anyways, we'll see how this goes. So, um, the story opens today in the Old Testament lesson with a story about the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is sitting in a temple. Isaiah is, is praying. And Isaiah has this incredible experience of God. Like, like God breaks into his life um, in a way that is just um, amazing, in a way um, that he remembers it to this day. Like, I don't know if you've ever had those moments in your life like, where the memory is just clear. Um, as can be. Isaiah says, you know, I remember because it was the year that King Uzziah died, right? And I, I, I can remember uh, my father shares this, this story about something that happened in high school. He goes, and I remember the day because it was the day that um, John F. Kennedy was shot. I remember we were, we were shooting pool and, and, and someone came into the pool hall and said that, that President Kennedy had been shot. Like, he remembers it. I have been in exactly one fight in my life and it was on January the 28th 1986. (laughs) I was in third grade so I don't have to worry about ESPN's 30 for 30 coming to do a story about this fight but I remember the date because it was the day that the Challenger exploded. Um, if you remember that when the space shuttle Challenger in 1986, they were taking a teacher, Krista McAuliffe, up into space. It was a really um, a big deal. And in the midst of takeoff, the space shuttle um, explodes. And 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 I remember because. I was afraid of what was going to happen to me. What what were my teachers going to do to me? Uh, What was the principal going to do to me? What was my parents going to do to me for getting into this fight? And because of the challenger exploding, nothing happened. (laughs) Uzziah that Isaiah references was a really a powerful king. The historical books in the Bible uh, tell us that his name was spread abroad even to the uh, gates of Egypt, to the entrance of Egypt, his name was known. Isaiah was described as one who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. His reign was prosperous uh, since the time of Solomon. And it's in the midst of, of this year in which this powerful king had died that Isaiah has this experience of God that, 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 that has strengthened him. In the midst of prayer, suddenly, he's in the holy realm. And angels are there. They're singing holy, holy, holy <coughs> day in and day out. I mean, right? I mean, they're singing this praise and worship song. They're like on the 20,000th verse of Oceans. And, <laughs> and, 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 and in the midst of this, this constant praise of God... Isaiah um, experiences God. And, 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 and God is so holy. God is so awesome. God is so powerful. But these angels who do nothing but praise God, who do nothing but sing praise worship, like, even they can't look at God. And they have their eyes covered up. But here's Isaiah who sees God, and, and Isaiah goes, oh, I am a man from an unclean, with unclean lips from an unclean land, and I I have seen God. It's the equivalent of Wayne and Garth in Wayne's world crying out, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. And it's a powerful reminder that the spiritual life and our experiences about God do not come as a result of our own goodness, of our own achievement, or because we are spiritual enough. The message is not, get your stuff together and then God will come into your life. Rather, God acts in ways in which grace infuses and invades our life. God's grace invades our life, even in the moments in which we don't expect it. I have a good friend and um, he was, (coughs) excuse me, and he had... um, he was like a, a really like, he wasn't just an atheist. He was really antagonistic to religion. And he thought it was, he thought it was phony. Um, he thought Christians were hateful people. And, and he would have nothing to do with faith. And um, one, one day his life is sort of just falling apart. Um, his world is collapsing around him. And he goes outside in just a fit of anger and he just, just screams. And, and he will tell you that, that God showed up in that moment. This person who, who completely was antagonistic to faith. Somebody who was, who, was, who was hateful about faith. God showed up in a really powerful way that opened him up in a way that he was not expecting. Grace invades us. And it's not because we deserve it. It's because it's God's, uh, it's God's property to love us. We see this happening again in the gospel reading for today. Jesus has been teaching publicly, and so many people want to hear his sermon um, that Jesus realizes he needs to back away a little bit. If you've ever been over to Israel in this area around this lake, it has like these perfect mountains which kind of make for like a natural amphitheater. And so Jesus says, hey, Peter, you're done fishing. I'm taking your boat. And he goes out a little bit and he starts preaching some more. Peter, who had been fishing in the shallow water, safe, close to the shore, Jesus takes his boat and he goes into the deep. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience of somebody telling you how to do something that you already know how to do. One time I was uh, at a 4th of July family uh, get together and, and we asked someone to take a picture of us. And this financial planner begins to tell the owner of Party Pics how to take a photo. And they imagine Peter's thoughts when Jesus starts giving him fishing advice. I've been fishing all night. I'm finished. I'm tired. I want to go home. And Jesus says, well, Peter, I know I'm a carpenter from Nazareth, but let me tell you how to fish. And Peter's sitting there going, I've fished my entire life. My dad has fished his entire life. My grandfather fished his entire life. What is this guy trying to tell me? But he says, okay, I'll try it. And so Jesus tells him to go away from the safety of the shore, go into the deep waters, put down your nets. And there are so many fish in these nets that the nets begin to break. And as they pull up these nets full of fish, they realize that they don't have enough room in their boat and they have to call someone else. So they call someone else and they say, come on, we got to put fish in here too. And the boats begin to sink because there are so many fish that they have caught. When I was three or four, my parents took me to... Padre Island, and I don't remember this, but it's one of these stories that they often tell, and looking out at the Gulf for the first time, and said, Everett, what do you think of that? And I said, well, it looks pretty nice, but I don't think I want to get into the deep end. <laughs> and I think if we're honest, that spiritually, we enjoy being a lot closer to the shore than we do in the deep end. But yet when Jesus captures our life, when, when grace infuses into our life, what happens is, is it tries to push us into the deep waters. That faith, about, that faith life is not about what we have done or what we have not done. Faith is simply about allowing Jesus to control our lives in ways that don't always make sense. <coughs> In the gospel lesson, Jesus goes and he tells Peter, I'm going to have you fish for people. It harkens back to Jeremiah chapter 16, in which uh, Jeremiah has told all the ways in which the people of Israel have failed God, in the ways in which they have sinned against God, in all the ways in which they are unworthy. And Jeremiah then says at the end of this, but I am going to send out fishermen, to fish for the lost. We are those lost. We are the ones that God has searched for. And it's not about something that we can control. It's about actually letting go of our control and allowing God's grace to work in our lives. I recently read a portion of a book written by a woman who struggled with addiction, and I will say that I think all of us are addicted to something. It may not be alcohol or drugs. It might be anger. It might be self-righteousness. Uh, there is something that all of us are addicted to, and I think we can resonate with her story. She says, for a long time, I believed that sincerity was about our actions lining up with our beliefs, knowing myself and acting accordingly. But when it came to drinking, she said, I had passed my motiva- I had parsed my motivations in a thousand sincere conversations with friends, therapists, with my mother, with my boyfriends, and all of my self-understanding had not granted me release from the compulsion to drink. I didn't know what I believed, but I prayed anyway. I called my sponsor even when I didn't want to. I showed up to meetings when I didn't want to. I sat in the circle and held hands, um, With everyone. I opened myself up to the cliches that I felt ashamed to be described by. I got down on my knees to pray, even though I wasn't sure what I was praying to, only that I was praying for don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. She says the desire to believe that there was something out there, something that wasn't me, that could make not drinking seem like anything other than punishment. This desire was strong enough, she says, to dissolve the rigid border I had drawn between faith and its absence. When I look back on my early days in church, I started to realize how silly it had been to think that I had a monopoly on doubt, or that wanting faith was categorically different from having it. She says, when people in 12-step programs talk about a higher power, they sometimes just simply say "HP," which seemed expansive, opened, a pair of letters you could fill with whatever you wanted. the sky, people in meetings. An old woman who wore loose flowing skirts like my grandmother had worn. Whatever it was, she says, I needed to believe in something other than my willpower. She says, my willpower was strong. It was a fine-tuned machine. It was fierce and it was humming. It gave me straight A's in school. It got my papers written. It got me through cross-training runs. But when I applied it to my addiction, the only thing I felt was that I was that I was running my life into a small, joyless, clenched fist. The higher power, she says, that turned sobriety into more than deprivation was simply not me. Right? In in essence, in order to have this experience of grace, we let go of our desire to have self-control and we turn ourselves over to a higher power. We allow that grace to infuse in us, to drive us into the deep waters. All the stories that we hear from the prophet Isaiah to the apostle Paul are stories of the redemption. They're examples of how even in our brokenness, God can transform us into something brand new. We live in a society, a culture of call-outs and shame, which seeks to punish people constantly for the mistakes that we've made. We live in a society that is beyond redemption. And yet we hear in the gospel story over and over and over again that in the midst of our brokenness, God refuses to leave us, forget us. And it all starts with grace. It starts with us being willing to go into the deep waters. Let us pray. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we have arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. In our efforts to build a new earth, we have followed our own vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your majesty. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.